Welcome to The Courage Effect. I'm Suzanne Weller, and this is a show about growth and unleashing what's possible. You will hear inspiring stories about what courage looks like, how we navigate what's getting in our way, and the opportunities that surface when we choose courage over comfort. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. It's Suzanne. Welcome to The Courage Effect. My guest today is Fawn Sanchez. Fawn Sanchez is Shoshone Bannock from Fort Hall, Idaho. She's a diversity thought leader who's been with Amazon for 10 years and is currently a senior learning business partner in AWS. She has broad experience spanning human resources, learning and development, program management, and the technical training space. And prior to coming to Amazon, Fawn both served and worked in the U.S. Army. Fawn is also the president of Amazon's Indigenous Ploy Resources Group, where she drives programs to support Indigenous communities internally and externally, recruitment and retention programs for Indigenous employees, and the creation of innovative technology solutions to meet the needs of underrepresented communities. Fawn lives in Seattle, or in the Seattle area, with her children, Eli and Isabella. Fawn, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to The Courage Effect. Thank you so much, Suzanne. I'm so happy to be here. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. And you are, you have quite a remarkable story. And I would love to kick off with you speaking to that journey, because not only is it about where you came from, but how you arrived at where and who you are today. So if you wouldn't mind just kicking off a little bit with, uh, with talking about that journey. Yeah, happy to. I'll try to give you the short version. Um, sometimes I also look back on it and realize I, I sometimes don't know how I how I got where I am either. Um, a lot of twists and turns. Um, but yeah, uh, you mentioned I'm Native American uh, from Fort Hall, Idaho. I actually grew up in the Quileute Reservation, though, in a, located by Forks, Washington, which people might recognize from the Twilight films. Nobody knew where it was at when when I was living there, um, but it has since become very very popular. It is a very very small town located on the very north. Northwest corner of Washington. And um, I homeschooled most of the time growing up. Education was really, really important to my mom, though. And when I got into college, my mom actually went back to college as well, now that a, a lot of her children were in school, and she became a teacher. And so mm -hmm. it was always really instilled in me to get an education and sort of no matter what you did, just how important education was. And um, I didn't, we didn't have a lot growing up. I grew up like many other Native American people, and um, most of the time without electricity and running water. Um, it was also the 80s, so we didn't have computers or, or phones or anything like that. Um, but still in La Push, uh, there is no broadband internet access. Cell phone reception is pretty spotty. And even now when I do go home, I do have to go to the library if I want to use the internet. And so um, mm -hmm. when I graduated high school, I, I decided to join the army so that I could go to college. And um, of course, 9-11 uh, happened, actually joined in 2000. And then one year later, that happened and oh, wow. really changed the trajectory of what I, what I wanted to do and what I thought was going to happen. Um, and so I really just focused that time on getting as many college degrees as I could, certifications. I knew I didn't want to stay in forever, but I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Um, and so I really relied on mentorship and the people around me just to help me to to make that transition out of the service. And it, it wasn't easy. There were some dark times with making that transition and really deciding what the best pathway for me was. Um, but then somehow I ended up uh, in tech, working in tech, which was definitely not on my to-do list uh, at the time. I actually majored in communication and musical theater. <laughs> so I think also just a, a good sort of story to say, like where, where you start definitely does not dictate where you end up sometimes. Um, but yeah, really enjoying life now, living in the Seattle area. Uh, I'm a single mom with two kids. 
working in tech and it's really just just fills my cup to really give back to the community and that I came from as well. Oh, it's so great. Thank you for sharing that. And it's so interesting. It's so interesting that you are in technology. It sounds like you sort of accidentally fell into technology. I'm curious what 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 got you there? I did accidentally fall into it. Yes. Um, when I was in the military, so I was an Intel analyst and then a human resource manager. When I got out, I started working at a digital training center uh, here on Joint Base Lewis-McChord. And um, so I started to get kind of interested in technology in terms of simulations and, and training. Um, but I was hired at Amazon uh, 10 years ago. I started as a staffing specialist and I was launching warehouses. I had another friend that I had served with in the Army that was on the AWS side, on the cloud service side. They had some roles open. He said, you know, I think you should do it. And that was sort of my first lesson in, you know, really believing people if they believe in you. And, you know, I, I was really self-conscious about the fact that I didn't have tech experience. I really didn't even know. I barely knew what the acronym AWS meant, but I decided to really trust my friends. And so I came over to AWS and gave it a try. And it, it's been really something I've really enjoyed getting to know. And we do have a lot of free certification services if you're an employee or, or reduced services and that you can, you can take even if you're not an employee to get certifications. And so I've just started to take as many as I can and really started to see that I had an interest and an aptitude in tech. So now I'm managing some learning programs for our frontline support engineers. And it's just been really amazing to be involved in that. And I've really found my home. I think I also really enjoy our programs that we have that teach um, children tech skills, computer science and STEM education. And I'm also starting to look back at my own journey coming from an underserved community and realizing how important that representation is and wondering if I would have gotten into tech a little earlier if I'd had that. Yeah, that's a very important thing to be thinking about. And as you said, I mean, how wonderful to have a mother that really invested in education for you, but making sure that we're we're making yes. it available for others at the same time. Absolutely. And you are you are one of the most senior people that is an indigenous person at Amazon, correct? Yes. Yes, I don't know of any other ones. <laughs> yeah, so talk a little bit about that. I mean, I'm sure that that's something that as as I'm sure it's taken quite a bit of courage to to really advocate for yourself as you've gone through that journey. Curiosity is also another theme that I'm hearing from you, like really wanting to explore and push yourself. But um, you are really, you are getting into ranks where you're not seeing anybody that looks like you. And I can only imagine that that is quite a challenge. It is a challenge. I'll be honest. It, it really is. There's no way around it. Um, it. It's natural to have that imposter syndrome when you are one of the only ones that that look like you or come from your own lived experiences. Um, I'm really driven by being that voice for other people, though, and being that representative and really breaking through this ceiling to open that up for other people. I do believe that I belong here. I believe in making that change as much as I can, but it does, I definitely have to give myself a pep talk. I also rely a lot on other people for mentorship. And sometimes that does mean really reaching into my intersectional communities, whether it's um, our, our Amazon Warriors affinity group and leaning onto veterans or, or women or the families group to really lean on, on other people who I do have similar lived experiences with. Um, I also partner really closely with our Latinos uh, employee resource group, and they do have quite a few senior uh, members who are on the executive staff uh, in our organization. And many of them are also first generation college graduates. They're living in multi-generational households. So we do have a lot in common. So I do think it's really important to lean on 
your community. Um, and, and, you know, I, I am one of those people that thinks imposter syndrome can be a good thing. I do think if you don't have it and you're just sitting there thinking, I'm nailing this and everything's going great, then <laughs> you might be missing something. It's important to be a little critical of where you are and um, really trying to just keep working towards, you know, being as qualified as you can be. Well, and I'm also hearing that you're doing that in turn for other people. It's not only you seeking out mentors and people to help you to grow and to learn, but you're also very, and, and I, and I, I follow you on LinkedIn. You are very proactive on LinkedIn. You post amazing things. I don't even know how you have the time to do everything that you do because your advocacy work is, is a lot. So, um, talk to us a little bit about that because that that's a big investment in your time and in your life. You know, it fills my cup, though. Yes, a lot of it is volunteer work, but it really fills my cup and, you know, motivates me personally as an individual. I also think being a mentor is a huge professional development opportunity. I have grown so much by mentoring other people. It's also strengthened my relationships with my mentor, just sort of starting to understand what types of things we should be talking about, what kinds of um, goals I can use this relationship for. I also have a lot of mentors myself, um, whether they're professional mentors and um, people that help me manage my work-life balance, um, navigating through <laughs> technology because I am on the little, you know, sort of starting to learn how to use social media and getting into uh, TikTok and being an influencer and that sort of thing. Um, but that's been really, really fun for me. Also, if you see my calendar, the how I do it is that I am very structured uh, with my time and and so my calendar is color coded. I make posts on certain days. I read my emails at certain times. It's just a sort of militant level of organization. Well, it's definitely working for you. <laughs> I, I can attest Thank to that you. being part of that audience. Um, I also love that you are really reinforcing the importance of mentorship throughout your career, because I do, I see so many people that get to a certain level and they think like, oh, I've arrived. I don't really need to, I don't really need to invest in my growth or I don't really need to make sure that I'm being mentored. So thank you for bringing that up because I just think a lot of people don't proactively take that as a thought or even as an approach. Yeah, I think it's really important. You know, one of my traditional teachings is the seventh generation teaching um, where everything that we do should have an impact seven generations from now. And I really try to bring my traditional teachings to work in the corporate space. And how I think of that is, first of all, we're not always the, the last generation or the first one. We're somewhere in the middle you know, at the beginning, the middle and the end. And so I look at the people that came before me, what they've done, try to honor that with my own service towards my community and giving as much as I can forward, creating sustainable programs and opening the store for other people. So that's, that's really important to me as an individual. Yeah. Well, I want to commend you on that work because you're, you're getting out there and you are not just, you know, I hate the word improving necessarily, but it's the whole idea of growth, right? You're, you're investing in yourself and making sure that you're growing at the same time doing that for other people. So bravo. It's truly my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and one of the things we're going to be going to a break in a minute, but um, you talked about going back home and going to the library for internet. So that digital divide, I'm sure that is something that played a role in your in your life growing up and it sounds like it continues to yeah, it really does. Um, there's two main characteristics of the digital divide, and it's access to reliable devices and access to high-speed internet. So that's sort of my call to action anytime I'm talking to an organization that can solve for things is let's get creative. Look at what we're doing with our old hardware that has expired. You know, when we're giving employees new laptops, what are we doing with those old ones? Can we repurpose those and give those back to these communities where they will really make a difference? I, I think a little bit goes a long way in this community. Yeah, I mean, that's... 
that's just so huge. I think that so many of us, we just really, we take it for granted now. I mean, internet is such, it's just a utility, right? It's, we don't, it, it's second nature. We don't even think. Right. It is. But I mean, we saw during the pandemic, the impact that the lack of internet access had on these communities is that they really weren't able to do the online learning and the Zoom-based learning. So it is really important. It's also important for children to get involved with STEM and computer science at that age, which isn't usually readily available in these communities. Yeah. Well, when we come back from a break, let's talk a little bit more about that, because I'd love to hear about how what you're noticing and maybe some of the impact as a result of it and some of the steps that you're taking. You talked about being creative and, you know, like repurposing hardware, but I'd love to get a better idea of, of what that looks like for you and maybe some other ways that you do your advocacy work. Sure. would love Great. to share. All right. This is Suzanne Weller. You're listening to The Courage Effect. We will be right back. Hey everybody, it's Suzanne from The Courage Effect. As the seasons changed, I poked into my closet and discovered how stale my wardrobe had become. Everything felt boring and I wanted something different and fresh. I grabbed my laptop and remembered armoire. Why not clothing rental? I could experiment with new styles from jeans to something fancy without spending a ton of money and buying clothes I would only wear a handful of times. Armoire makes clothing rental easy. Build a perfect seasonal wardrobe with brands that are unique, sustainably sourced, and owned by women. All you have to do is take the style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, and they will ship them straight to your door. Armoire allows me to indulge in high-quality designer clothing with no guilt. They promote sustainability with fewer items ending up in the donation bag and landfill. And no dry cleaning fees. Trust me, your cramp closet and the environment will thank you. If you're ready to have your dream closet delivered to your door, you must try Armoire. And right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style. That's A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash the courage effect to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Get inspired every hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to The Courage Effect. This is Suzanne Weller, and I am in conversation with Fawn Sanchez. So Fawn, before the break, we really started talking about the digital divide, the fact that there's no broadband access on the reservation where you grew up, and it's one of the things that is a continual challenge. Talk to me a little bit more about how, how you're seeing that and some of the, the impact of that happening. Yeah, you know, the, the effects of the digital divide starts early. And before I get into that, I did just want to share a little bit of context, too. Um, I did grow up on a reservation. I went to the Quileute Tribal School, which is a K um, or kindergarten through eighth grade school. And then you have to go to the public school for high school. Um, some, tribes, some tribes do have high schools as well. Um, but on tribal schools, only about 20% of them are even funded for computer science education. So you have a whole lot of students that really aren't even getting exposure to computer science curriculum until ninth grade at the earliest. And for some of them, even their high schools don't offer that. And um, so that I think is a huge starting point for people to even get interested in computer science. And um, I'll just say is I've also read a lot about this as a woman. For girls in particular, it's very important that they get exposed to computer science education in those elementary years, the kindergarten, first and second grade. And um, because once they get to about middle school age, it does start to get a very, very male dominated. And that's where we start to see those first thoughts of imposter syndrome 
syndrome creeping in if, if we belong there um, in robotics and, and STEM. So it is very important. Um, we talked a little bit about how the digital divide is characterized with the lack of access to high-speed internet and devices. Um, the Really the impact of this is when in K through 12, we see students who have limited to no internet access at home. Um, they can also really struggle with getting access to devices. So when we have schools that do give out Chromebooks, that can be really important to bridging that gap and making sure those students do have access to all of the same online tutorials that other students do. Um, in college, we're still seeing that same impact in terms of access to devices, but this can really start to impact students' ability to take supplemental courses even apply for internships. And then we see that translated in the workplace too. Even people at, at my level of experience, and I've been in the workforce many years, um, where even if I go home to visit my mom on the Quileute reservation, I still have to go to the public library to use the internet, even if I bring my laptop with me. So if I am actively taking a certification class or um, you know, trying to build more skills online or doing a mentorship, even I could be impacted by the digital divide at this age. So that, that impact really never stops when you come from these communities. Yeah, I have a friend who actually, he's a teacher in Alaska. He's on um, Aleutian Islands. And he was saying that, you know, he doesn't have Wi-Fi in his apartment. And he wow. he, he hangs out in the parking lot of the school because he's a teacher. So he has it at school. But when he's doing personal stuff, he does it from the car. And it just makes you, it, it just makes you think about your life. Your life is just very different as far as what, who you're talking to and also the content that you're consuming and news and otherwise. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I, I'd like to share too just a little bit about the indigenous cultures that indigenous people, Native American people, um, were also very scientific people, very interested in science and, and technology, education and math. A lot of that is um, concepts that we use in our own first foods preservation and our language preservation and our land conservation and water conservation. Um, you know, logging and, and salmon and the way that we take care of our, our wildlife and our lands really is rooted in STEM. So I'm a big proponent of just how important it is to expose these communities to these educational systems, and then they can solve these problems of their communities themselves from right at home. But of course, they do need all of our support to solve for things like the broadband internet access. Yeah. And I love that you're talking about the, the preservation culture and STEM being such a huge thing. And as you said, too, with gender, I mean, that's such a it's always remarkable to me how at such an early age we get imprinted with with limiting beliefs and what we can and what we can't do. So that's even that even goes further for women, and for girls. I think it does. And no matter how far you get in your career, that that really never goes away. It never stops being important to have that representation. I really enjoy the conferences that I get to go to where I do have, have mentorship where I'm exposed to women and people from underserved communities that are in these executive level roles working in STEM. It's always so exciting and really fills my cup to see people that have done this and really lean on them for mentorship. So I'd like to leave people with that note too. Don't be afraid to ask people to be your mentors. Go up to that director, that executive from that company that you really admire and just ask for their help. Many times they do want to give back and are looking for those opportunities. Oh, I love that. The call to courage. Yes. <laughs> I know sometimes I have to give myself a little pep talk to walk up to somebody that like works at NASA, um, but they're always so nice, so rel relatable and always looking to share their experiences. So I always ask just for a one-time conversation just to get to know them, always have my questions prepared in advance, but it's been really, really positive to just build my own network that way as well and lean on other people for support. 
That's fantastic. And such a, I, I, I love that you brought that up too, because it's the whole idea of if you didn't do it, I'm sure that you'd have some sort of regret on the other side of it. Oh yeah. And what's the worst that can happen, right? They, they may say no, and I don't have time and that's okay. You didn't have their time to begin with. <laughs> so yes, um, put your, put your courage shoes on and, and go up to them and say hello. Um, I know I recently did that to somebody that works at Sandia Labs and she's a really well-known scientist that's been there for, for 30 years and really well-renowned in the Native community. And I saw her actually at a Native American powwow. And I, I followed her around for a little bit, a little bit like a stalker before I built up the courage to go and ask her. And I, and I just asked her, could I have a 15-minute conversation with you about your journey to, to STEM and what else I could be doing to increase my technical skills as well? And she was so happy to meet with me. It was wonderful. Oh, I love that so much. And I love that you asked it in a way. I mean, I think a lot of the time, even when we muster up that courage to have the conversation, we don't really have a good, a, a good ask, right? We just sort I, of say, like, oh, I really like you. Yes, <laughs> or we, we turn into like fangirl, right? So yeah, well, I, I definitely wanted to do that and definitely asked for a photo so I could remember the moment. But I do think having specific asks is important, especially when you are working with people at that level. And I also know that she is really involved in our community as a mentor in other spaces. And other programs. I want to make sure people's time is, is really well used. Um, but since I talked to her also, she's ac actually asked me to help support some of the up and coming interns at her organization. So now I've been able to give back and, and cross mentor as well. So it's really created this new opportunity for me too, that I'm really grateful for to just be involved in sort of her orbit. <laughs> oh, that's great. Such a gift for both of you. Yes. Yeah. So I'd also love to hear from you a little bit about the anomalies that come with being an indigenous professional. Yeah. Um, well, like you said, you know, it is, uh, I am one of the only ones and I do think that can be, that can be trying. Um, I think I've shared this before in other um, talks that I've done where, you know, if you just take a moment to think about the people that you've worked with, how many people here have worked with somebody that looked like them or came from the same lived experiences? Many people can raise their hand and say that they have. I've actually never been on a team with another Native American person. I've never had a manager that's Native American. And so I, I do challenge people to just think about what that would be like for a moment. Um, just as an example, my holidays are different than, than other people. I celebrate New Year's in July. So trying to explain that to you know managers and a, and a business that's used to celebrating New Year's in January and trying to take that time off for traditional purposes, it can be difficult. But I do think that's why it's so important to talk so openly about these things is help people understand what those anomalies are. And um, I also try to really help people understand that all not, not all Native American people are the same. There's over 500 tribes here in the United States alone that are federally recognized, and they are all very different. So even in our ERG, we have board members from all over the world, different indigenous cultures and that are all very different. And we all celebrate New Year's at different times. So it's been really fun to educate people about how we're not a monolith. We all come from very different uh, backgrounds. We have different holidays. We speak different languages. So while we do have a lot of similarities in our relationships to the earth and our families and, and the way that we really use science to um, honor the earth and, and our, our families, um, we are also very, very different too. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm curious for you too, obviously you've been at Amazon for quite a long time and you're, yes. you're president of the indigenous employee resource group. Um, what are the other things, I mean, what are the conversations that you're having on a regular basis that are, that is helping to expand that visibility around what you're talking about and also making sure that it's, that you're, you're really driving positive change within the organization. 
You know, um, I when we first launched the ERG, which was about six years ago, we started with some really big impactful goals, really big, exciting things. And we did realize after about the first year that we needed to take a step back and really focus on just building community and building engagement. So we, we took the next two years to really just get the word out about who we are, what we were trying to do, really strengthen our tenants and our goals and create our North Star vision. And what our North Star was, was also making sure that we as a business was growing and that we were contributing to our business's growth mindset. And so for us, that in-state goal was looking at our products and our services. And that's really where we are now that we're a more mature group. We do have about 3,000 members worldwide and we have chapters in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Mexico, we have a Pacifica chapter. Um, and so we are doing a lot for engagement, but now we've shifted our focus really into products and services and how we can make those really inclusive. A lot of times that means just working with our business teams and asking if we can be involved in, in the development of their goals that are serving underserved communities. Um, sometimes we get creative with them. For example, we're working with our teams that provide satellite connectivity to see if they could stretch that to tribal communities and provide those communities with satellite connectivity to solve that that broadband access issue. And we're working with our teams that provide computer science education and seeing if they can get that out to these remote communities that don't have access to tablets. And a lot of times it's really just making sure that that access is there um, and helping people to understand the anomalies of the community. Um, one great example I like to bring up is um, Prime shipping is most of the time if you order something and you live in Seattle and you do you pay for Prime now uh, with your Prime membership, you're getting it overnight. But people that live in tribal communities don't always have access to their mail as quickly as others may. And uh, when I grew up, we had to drive 60 miles to go to the post office. And so it's not unusual to go to town about once a week. So that's just a great example of how we can be more inclusive with our services by just helping people understand some of the anomalies of the community. Wow. That's great. Do you find that you're the one that's starting most of these conversations internally, or do you find that like people are are opening up a little bit more broadly? I'm curious how they're starting. You know, in the beginning, it was all um, us. I think the Native American and the Indigenous employees going to these teams and asking to take a look at their goals and their papers. Now we're seeing a lot more interest out there from these these teams coming to us and just wanting us to help inspect to make sure that their services are really inclusive. So I really appreciate that. I also think it's something that we see in all the other ERGs that are really active out there. Um, Suzanne, you mentioned LinkedIn and all of the the networking that's taking place there. So I see people drawing a lot of inspiration from that and reading other people's posts about what they're doing. So I'm starting to see a lot more action, not just in my organization, but externally to make sure that everything is inclusive and equitable. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, Fawn, I really, again, want to commend you for the work that you're doing and for, you know, a, a couple of key points that, that, that really resonated with me from our conversation, the importance of education, which obviously you were brought up yes. with and that you're expanding out to your family and also people that you work with mentorship being a huge, um, a, a huge activity, both as a mentor and a mentee. And I mean, impact for seven generations ahead. I hadn't necessarily thought about it that way. So there's such a longer tail to everything that we do. So let's make sure that it matters. So, yes. Thank you so much for having me, Suzanne. This has been great. Oh, such a pleasure. I'll make sure I have all of your contact information on the Courage Effect website. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the work that you do. And audience, thank you for listening. Stay courageous.